It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome back to another episode. I should say welcome to the first episode of 2016. I think I did my last episode in December of last year. 2015 doesn't seem that far away. And that last episode was with Daryl Edwards um, talking a little bit about paleo. And then I took some time off. I really needed time off. I don't know whether the audience out there knows it or not, but a lot, a lot goes into doing a show, especially if you want to have the show, what I call On Point. You have to read the book, and then you come up with the questions, and reading book after book after book after book, even though I love health and wellness, sometimes it comes to be a little bit exhausting. So I needed some time off, and just starting to show back up January 18th of 2016, and really good guest tonight. I actually met this gentleman in person. He's one of, probably one of my mentors. It's him and Sean Croxton. I really started listening to them when I first got into health and wellness, and I continue to listen to their, their shows. Actually, matter of fact, listen to their show uh, today, and it had me cracking up um, with them them actually talking. So, um, but before I get into uh, tonight's guest, I wanted to just remind you of upcoming shows, some really good shows coming up. If you don't know it or not, I was doing one show a week last year, and this year I'm moving to two shows. So it's going to be uh, twice the enjoyment, twice the work, but I'm really enjoying uh, everything that I do here, and I really love interviewing people on health and wellness. But tonight we have Jimmy Moore, of course, and then I'm going to get him on here in a few. And then we have Yes, You Can Get Pregnant with Amy Raup. For those out there who have fertility issues and, and trying to get pregnant, very good show. I'm actually in love with her book because her book says some things uh, really about mindset and changing the way that you think, and I'm really big on that, and that will be on Thursday. And then we'll have uh, Diane Hunter on, Diana Hunter on Me, Myself, and Food is the name of her book. And Diana was actually my first podcast back in 2013. I think I started the show back in April of 2013, and she was actually my first show, and she's coming back to discuss her uh, other book. And then my second show is going to be the second person I ever had on the show will be Dr. Raymond Francis. And if you remember, um, he had a book called Never Be Sick Again, and he's coming back to talk about his second book. He actually has uh, a, about four or five books, but he's coming back to talk about the International uh, Health Hoax. It's his second book. So really good shows coming up. Hope you'll tune in and listen. If you are out there and you listen to the show through iTunes, please go on and review the show. It really helps me to get the show and get the ratings up and get 
being seen in iTunes. So I really uh, appreciate if you could do that as well. Those of you following on Blog Talk Radio, please keep following people. Please keep uh, just attaching on to me and and uh, keep following the show because there's a lot of good shows coming up for February and March. So this gentleman, as I said, I actually met this gentleman in person, and uh, he was the first one that gave me a free book, and I really started to figure out that I didn't need to buy books anymore to do my shows. I would just be able to ask people if they had a media copy of their book, and they would be able to uh, send me that media copy so I can interview uh, them about that. But he is the author of Cholesterol Clarity, which we interviewed him on, and tonight we'll be talking about Keto Clarity, and he has several podcasts. He's one of my fellow podcasters, Living La Vida Low Carb Show is one of his podcasts, and I think Low Carb Conversations is another podcast, and then I think he just started another show. Uh, I saw something come across my Facebook feed about Ask the Keto Dog. I don't know if I, I even have that correct, but Without further ado, let me bring Jimmy Moore on the show. What's up, Darren? How are you, man? Long time no talk. I know, man. What's going on? Not much, man. By the way, that new uh, podcast is called Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. So me and this uh, medical doctor uh, osteopath out in Arizona who uses low-carb ketogenic diets with his patients, um, we decided let's start a podcast where we answer all these questions that people have about ketogenic diets because it's kind of a new thing on the radar screen of a lot of people. So we're kind of methodically doing this kind of short-form podcast on Thursdays talking all about uh, answering those questions. So ketotalk.com is the website for that one. But, uh, yeah, I I stay busy. When you said you took time off from podcasting, I'm like, Oh, I wish. I so wish. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like James Brown. You're the hardest working man in podcasting because you have, I don't know how many podcasts. And I remember when I was doing my other podcast with Diane Kayser, I thought I was doing a lot. But you have, what, three or four different podcasts that you're doing now? Yeah, it actually goes. I have four total podcasts. One is now defunct, the Ask the Low Carb Experts. I don't do anymore, but Monday through Wednesday is the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, my flagship one, now the longest running health podcast on the internet, over a thousand episodes. And then uh, Thursday is that Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore in the Doc. And then you mentioned earlier Low Carb Conversations on Fridays. I have a brand new co host on there as well. We talk about the health headlines. So, yeah, never a dull moment. And in the month of January, I'm doing six days a week. I'm doing a bonus episode of the new show, Keto Talk, on Sunday. So I'm staying quite busy right now. Plus, I have two brand-new books I'm working on in 2016. So definitely never a dull moment. Yeah, you you and uh, Sean were, like I said, the first two people that I, I started following. And you're um, just getting a hold of your interview styles. And that's what actually helped me because – I remember um, wanting to do this for so long, and I was like, well, should I do it? Am I going to be good (laughs) enough to do it? And I started listening to Sean first, and then somehow Sean led me to you. And there's a ton of podcasts out there now, but I always seem to go back to Sean. I know Sean's going off to do something different now, and then you're, you're still out there. And I was actually listening. I was walking around the park today. I usually normally go to the parks in the morning and clear my hand and walk and I was actually listening to the show you did with Sean on Keto Clarity because I'm just I'm a bit of a nerd because I will go and listen to people's podcasts who've already interviewed somebody that I want to interview but then I will figure out what they didn't ask and what I would like to (laughs) I would like you know what I'm 
I'm just show. the opposite, Darren. I'm just the opposite. I don't listen to anybody else because if it's important to me and interesting to me, I'm going to ask them the question anyway. Um, and usually it works out that way. So it just goes to show you we all have our little style that, you know, you do a lot of prep. You read probably thoroughly all the books and listen to the podcast. I'm just the opposite. Yeah, I read the book, of course, but uh, I don't really sit there and pontificate about it too much. My style is very conversational. It's like, you know what, let's just get on here and talk. Like we're two buddies just chit-chatting about the day, what's going on in our lives. And that always seems to come across really authentic when you do it that way. Yeah, it's it's very easy. And I always try to make my guests just seem really as relaxed and comfortable as, as possible by just preparing. I'm chilled, man. I don't usually do podcasts this late. So you know I like <laughs> you when because I don't do it this late at night usually. I usually yeah. cut them off about 5 o'clock because when that sun goes down, um, my melatonin kicks in. So if I'm a little sleepy, you know why. So. Right, right. <laughs> Well, I got all the lights on right now to keep me awake. Good. Thanks for, for doing the interview. Um, let's get into talking about this keto clarity. I interviewed you on um, cholesterol clarity. learned a lot from that book, and it seems like things have changed quite a bit since even before I interviewed you. More people are starting to catch on to the idea that saturated fats aren't bad for us. But if yeah. you could, uh, Jimmy, walk us back to when you started this, before you even got into keto, um, I know that I'm 6'7", and I remember meeting you in person. You're a little shorter than me. I think you're like 6'3", 6'4", maybe. 6'3", yeah. 6'3", and you wore, you were wearing, uh, you weighed about 400 pounds. Is that, am I correct by saying that? Back in the day, yep, 410. So what were you doing at that point in time? What were you what were you eating, and then what did you finally decide to jump into? Because I know there was something that you decided to jump into before you got into the whole idea of ketosis. Yeah, well, the better question would be what was I not eating back then because I was addicted severely to what I now call crappy garbage, Darren, and it was pretty much anything refined carbohydrate-based, even though I didn't know what a carbohydrate was way back then. I just was pushing it in my mouth, you know, processed foods, fast foods, sugary, refined uh, carbs left and right. I, I added it up one time. I kind of took a sample of what I used to eat and, and drink with the Coca-Colas and everything. I was getting in upwards of fifteen to 1,600 grams of carbohydrates every day. Most of that was from sugary soda and uh, sugary snack cakes, the, the little Debbie snack cakes and uh, going to McDonald's and having the the uh, two uh, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits, and I'd go to Taco Bell. I mean, you name it. I was just stuffing this pie hole because I could never feel satisfied um, eating any other way until I made the change. And so what was the change? So back in the year 2003, my mother-in-law gave me a copy of Dr. Atkins' New Diet Revolution, for Christmas mm -hmm. that year. And I was like, really? <laughs> Christmas present? Really? But uh, I read the book and I thought, okay, I've never tried a low-carb, high-fat diet before. And I was extremely skeptical about it. I'm like, how in the world do you lose weight you know, doing this? How in the world do you keep your health intact eating all this fat and, and lowering your carbs? And I was like, but what the heck? I was 410 pounds on three prescription medications. I was a mess and I needed to change my life pretty darn quick at the age of 32 because my brother Kevin, four years older than me, had had a series of heart attacks at that exact age. 
uh, he did eventually go ahead and, and die from that in 2008 at the age of 41. So anyway, uh, in 2004, I, I went on the Atkins diet, was extremely successful, lost 180 pounds on it, and really kind of set this whole wheel in motion where people know who I am online because of that experience. And that's when I started living La Vida Low Carb blog, podcast, and everything that I do now. But it wasn't until 2012 where I, I had gained back some weight and I was struggling a little bit trying to figure out what was going on when I realized I wasn't really in ketosis. And mm -hmm. I had always, always assumed that just eat low carb and you'll be in ketosis. In fact, sometimes you'll hear people use those terms interchangeably. You eat a low carb diet, you eat a ketogenic diet. But what I discovered... Uh, reading some books by some really smart people, Dr. Steve Finney and Jeff Folick wrote a book called The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Performance. They had another one called uh, The Art and Science of Low-Carbohydrate Living, which was really good. In fact, they let me write the last chapter in that book for them for the patient's perspective. But in the performance book, they talked about measuring for blood ketones. Now, ketones, I always thought, was you pee on the stick and it turned pink to purple to whatever, and that was ketosis if you, if you changed it to color. But what I realized was I need to be testing for blood ketones to know exactly what's going on inside the body. And so when I tested for the first time, Darren, I was really shocked to find that I was not in ketosis. And I had been at that point ketogenic for or uh, what I thought was ketogenic for about seven or eight years. Yeah, and this was your N equals one experiment. Is that correct? When That's right. So at that okay. point, I said, you know what, I need to test this. I need to see what it takes for me to get into ketosis. And, and there were some things that went well beyond low carb, we can definitely talk about, that were the keys to getting me into ketosis. And even still today, I have to do these things if I want to see uh, ketones produced. A lot of people can probably produce ketones very easily just eating low carb, but I think once you get to a certain point in your metabolism when you're insulin resistant to the nth degree, uh, I don't think you weigh over 400 pounds at one point in your life without having some insulin resistance kicking you in your high knee. So that's exactly what's happened to me where I have to probably work harder at this than most people. Uh, most people, low carb is probably good enough to produce ketones. But for me, I had to do certain things that we outlined in Keto Clarity to make the ketones happen so I could get that alternative fuel source. Yeah. What, um, when you talk about ketones, what exactly are ketones, Jimmy? Yeah, so ketones are kind of a byproduct of what's uh, of fat metabolism. So most people walking around Darren out there, they are sugar burners. They're getting most of their energy from carbohydrates. And in fact, you'll hear some dietitians say, well, that's the most essential element in your diet is carbohydrates because that's where you get your energy from. Well, they're, they're right if you're a sugar burner. But what they're not telling people is there's an alternative way to fuel the body, and that's with fat and ketones. So in order to become a fat and ketone burner, you have to lower down the sources of sugar in the body. You want to shift from being a sugar burner to a fat burner. So obviously you cut down sugar, but really anything that turns to sugar in the body, which includes pretty much all carbohydrates. That doesn't mean you eat zero carb. It just means you've got to tinker and test until you figure out what that tolerance level is for you. I've figured out it's about 25 to 30 grams of total carbohydrates for me, which is not a lot. But um, I, I often joke I've had all the carbs I'm allowed to have in my entire life, the first 32 years of my life. So, so now I can't have them the rest of my life. Just kidding. That may be a little bit of truth to that, but 
Uh, and then the, the big epiphany for me, Darren, and when we wrote Keto Clarity, the big epiphany that a lot of people said that they had no idea it was having such a profound impact on them uh, is protein. Because if you're going to consume a lot of protein, it's very anti-ketogenic. And here's why. There's this big, long G word we put in Keto Clarity called gluconeogenesis. Write that down because there will be a test at the end. Gluconeogenesis is when you eat way too much protein that your body doesn't need that much. And the excess, what it does with the excess is it sends it to the liver because your body can't store protein. It has to store it in some way. And, the, and what it stores it as is, is glucose. So it converts it over to glucose, and that's very anti-ketogenic. You're trying to become a less sugar burner and more fat burner. Well, if you're producing glucose, which is sugar in the body, because of too much protein, you're not going to produce ketones. You're not going to be a fat burner. So that was kind of the big, big epiphany for me was I was eating chicken breast and broccoli thinking it was a pretty healthy meal. Is it low carb? Absolutely. Was it ketogenic? No, because it had too much protein and then the last element, not enough dietary fat. Because once you become a fat burner, guess what? Your fuel source is fat. You need to be eating fat in order to burn the fat. Now, yeah, your stored body fat also becomes a part of that fuel source, but you still got to eat the healthy saturated and monounsaturated fats. Yeah, so what's actually included in eating ketogenically? What's included? Is that what you asked? Yeah, what's included? I mean, what are the components that make up just a, what you would call like a perfect ketogenic diet? Are you asking for like macronutrient ratios or things like that? Um, yeah. Because yeah, a lot of exactly. people like those. Protein, uh, you, you consisted of protein, carbs, and, and fat. But how much fat yep. is too much fat? Or can you go over your amount of, of fat on a ketogenic diet? It's interesting you asked that question because we just answered that on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and the Doc just this past Sunday. Definitely go to KetoTalk.com and listen to the show because my, uh, my uh, co-host on there, I asked him that question. Can you eat too much fat on a ketogenic diet? And his uh, unequivocal answer was no because your body has a natural ability to say stop when you've had enough. And so here's what I tell people to be ketogenic. There is no such thing as a perfect macronutrient ratio because the ratio that's right for me may not be right for you. You might be able to tolerate more carbohydrates than me. You might be able to tolerate more protein than me. You may not need as much fat as me. So I don't like ratios, but guidelines I do like. And so this is what I like to say. Find your carb tolerance. And we talk about in Keto Clarity how to figure that out. Uh, blood sugar monitor is a big way to figure out how sensitive you are to carbohydrates. And so find out what that is. If it's 50 grams, great. If it's 100 grams, great. Like my wife, Christine, can get about 70 to 75 grams of carbs. Meanwhile, I'm 25 to 30. So big uh, variability there. And then I can only have, because I'm so super sensitive to carbohydrates, I'm also sensitive to the gluconeogenesis effects of that protein. And so I have to keep protein to about 80 to 100 grams per day, and that translates to maybe about five ounces of meat and maybe a couple of eggs, and that's it for the entire day as far as protein goes. And yeah. so I just know that about me, and other people have to tinker and test and figure that out, and then the rest of the calories come from dietary fat. 
Yeah, from reading a book, I came across um, gluconeogenesis, and I was like, I never thought I would see that word again. But I saw that word when I was in my nutrition classes. When I, I people don't know, chemistry nightmare. <laughs> well, people don't know that I am a um, personal trainer, but I was like, I probably will never see this word again. And I'm reading a book the other day, and it pops up again. So I'm like, oh, Jimmy wow. dropped the G bomb. Yeah, you, you dropped the gem <laughs> on me. So I was like, wow, I'm seeing that word again. Um, getting back to carbs and carb tolerance, yep. why do some people have a better tolerance to carbs? And then, is it fair to say this is two questions, Jimmy? Is it fair to say that people who might have a problem with weight would have a carb intolerance problem? The second question is easy to answer, and yes especially if you have type 2 diabetes and, and morbid obesity like I used to have, um, yes, you are severely insulin resistant. That's one of the things that got you there was you kept eating so much crappy garbage, and I'm talking about myself as well, over the years that your body was trying desperately to keep your blood sugar under control. And what happens is though, uh, the pancreas just was working overtime, trying to keep up with the insulin needs to knock down that blood sugar. So after a while, the sensitivity to being able to do that for the insulin to be able to effectively put that blood sugar into the cells didn't work as well. Well, that doesn't just heal by itself. Um, you know, once you damage that ability of the pancreas to be able to do its job, you are insulin resistant and you're on your way to type 2 diabetes unless you do something about it, which is why a ketogenic diet works so brilliantly because you put less uh, impact on that pancreas to have to work so freaking hard to get that blood sugar down because you're eating foods that aren't really spiking the blood sugar. And then I'm also implementing some uh, uses of fasting. Um, I talked about that in Keto Clarity too. I'm doing a lot longer fast now as kind of an experiment just to see how that helps with this as well. So that's why some people can tolerate more. They didn't damage their body to the point that their pancreas can't work as it's uh, designed to do they're able to tolerate more. So those of us who did mess up our pancreas and get insulin resistance, it's just that much harder. doesn't mean you have no hope. That's why a ketogenic diet is out there. That's why intermittent fasting is out there to give you hope that, you know what, you can turn this around. It just may take a little while. Yeah, so this is a, a, an optimal diet for someone who is diabetic. But meanwhile, you have people out there who are confusing the term ketosis with diabetic ketoacidosis, which they kind of sound similar, so I can see why that would yep. come up. But explain to the audience what the difference is between those two terms. Oh, this is one of my favorite things to, to talk about because people have been confused by it. And even well-meaning health professionals say, oh, that dangerous ketogenic diet because you don't want ketones in your body. Because what they learned in medical school, a lot of these doctors that are saying this, what they learned in medical school is that the presence of ketones in the body is a bad thing. But what they're neglecting to tell these patients that they're misinforming is that's only if you are a type 1 diabetic and only if you're eating a high-carb diet and then don't take any insulin. So what happens in those cases? The type 1 diabetic eats a pasta and chocolate cake meal, and they don't take insulin. Their blood sugar goes through the roof over 240 milligrams per deciliter, and then the body thinks it's starving, so it starts producing ketones as an alternative energy source, not just to these nutritional ketosis levels that we talk about with low-carb ketogenic diets, but to extraordinarily high levels 
of around 20 millimolar. Uh, nutritional ketosis is about one to three. So we're talking, you know, multitudes higher in ketones. Well, when 240 milligrams per deciliter blood sugar is out there simultaneously with over 20 millimolar blood ketones, that is officially ketoacidosis for that type 1 diabetic. But did you catch what I said? That was a high-carb diet where they did not take their insulin if they were a type 1 diabetic. If that same type 1 diabetic ate a low-carb diet and they had moderate levels of ketones, 1 to 2, maybe up to 3, and then their blood sugar would be lower, there's absolutely no danger there. Everybody else in the entire world that's not a type 1 Diabetic ketoacidosis is a non-issue because you still make at least a little bit of insulin. And if you still make even just a little bit of insulin, this just cannot happen. Yeah, I actually had a friend who went into a ketoacidosis and he almost ended up, up dying. And he, young guy, young guy, and found out he had diabetes. So I wanted to kind of clear that term up because I know that there's a lot out there in the medical community. And a lot of people are still against the the um the ketogenic diet like the american was the american medical association all these different uh medical associations out there are still pretty much against that why why is that jimmy because they're ignorant they they completely <laughs> have no tra- and i mean that in the truest sense of the word of yeah. ignorance because they just don't know this is a dirty little secret darren that a lot of people just don't realize about their medical doctor their medical doctor has only gotten maybe if they're lucky two weeks worth of nutritional information in their medical education. I actually just talked to a recent graduate from Duke University and uh, asked him, uh, a medical school, asked him how much nutritional uh, information were you taught in medical school? He said, dude, we had one three-hour seminar. And in the three-hour seminar, insulin was not mentioned. Carbohydrates, uh, raising blood sugar was not mentioned. None of the most important parts of what you would think would be a healthy knowledge about nutrition was even taught to these people, and yet they're supposed to be the great purveyors of all things health. So, again, it's ignorance, and I mean that in the truest sense of the word. They just have not been taught. Now, here's the good news. That guy that I talked to that was the graduate, he's learned on his own about low-carb diets and the impact of them on health, and I'm thinking some of the younger generation of doctors – they are. The Internet has just been a powerful force for change. And I, I do sense that things are changing for the better, Darren. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of time for that old guard to die off and these new new guys to come in and say, well, we knew what was right all along, and, and then change will happen. It's just going to be a slow process, unfortunately, and the patients are in the crosshairs in the meantime. Yeah, it seems like a lot is changing, as I mentioned before, that – people are starting to get onto the idea that saturated fats are no longer bad for us. And I think that's part due for people like you who are coming out with books and saying that this is not bad. These are some things that we need in our diet right now. And uh, speaking of that, I wanted to go back to to a uh, experience that I had because I'd heard about ketosis a long time ago. And I was following mm-hmm. a diet that someone had, told me about and it was similar to Atkins and I don't know if I was doing that but they told me to get rid of all the carbs this was way back before I knew anything that I know now and I ended up getting rid of all my carbs but I knew nothing about fat I was still fat phobic stay away from fat fat is bad don't want to have a heart attack and I remember I was following this diet for a long time and I lost weight very quickly very rapidly what did you eat 
<laughs> I was eating like just meat, and I think I would boil an egg. That was all I was eating. But one thing that she got, got me, a little remember, bit of fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one night, I don't know, I got this tremendous sugar craving. And before I knew it, I was standing at the grocery store in front of the Pop-Tart aisle, and I bought a, a, a box Eat the whole of Pop-Tart. Box? I ate the whole box. Uh-huh. And, and I'm wondering if that was because I didn't put any fat in my diet at all and how fat actually satiates us and keeps us full. Yeah. And what, what's been your experience with that? It, it was two things. It, just kind of hearing you off the cuff here say this, Darren, it was two things. It was definitely not enough fat. But I'd say the big thing was you were getting a huge glucose response from the gluconeogenesis because you're eating basically mostly protein with some fat in there and, and no carbs. So, you know, people say, well, if I don't eat carbs, how am I hungry? If I don't eat carbs, why am I still craving them? Because of the gluconeogenesis. That's why moderating that protein is so critical in this equation and then getting enough fat to, to keep you satiated. That is critical. If you don't do that, you know, you're going to be hungry and, and it's no surprise. Yeah. And that, when you kind of moderate that protein, that takes that away, but you also have to add that fat in. You have to add back in fat. And people say, well, yeah. doesn't a lot of uh, fat come bound up with protein? You know, they're thinking about meat. And that's true. A lot of, obviously, meat does come bound up with uh, fat and protein. But that's when you look for the ones that aren't bound up with protein. So things like an avocado. There's a ton of healthy fats in an avocado, and, and they're so delicious, too. Um, and then sour cream, cream cheese. If you can tolerate the dairy, not everybody can tolerate dairy, but if you tolerate dairy, add in high-fat dairy. Um, that is an excellent source of, of fats. Cheese, of course, is, is always going to be good. Uh, do not do American cheese. That's not real cheese. Get real mm -hmm. cheese, and if you can get it from a quality source, or you know, uh, we, we can get uh, raw dairy here in South Carolina, so I'll try to get some raw cheese from time to time. Um, and just add in the fat and then cook things in butter and coconut oil and lard. Those are all healthy fats to be cooking in. Stop cooking things in those nasty vegetable oils that we talked about the last time I was on the show. Uh, they're actually contributing to heart disease, not preventing it. Yeah, is ghee. A ghee is just what a clarified oh, yeah. form of butter, so I'm yep. sure ghee is, is, is pretty good. Yeah, ghee is, yeah, it's, except for the, the, the proteins that are in the butter, that's, that's pretty much what ghee is. How much butter do you eat, man? Um, I used to eat a lot more than I do now. Well, currently I'm fasting, so uh, I'm not eating any. But uh, when I'm eating, yeah, I mean, I'll add in butter. Um, and in, in fact, I'm, I'm recalling when I met you in person, that meal, I actually had a bunch of butter <laughs> that meal. Yeah, um, you know, did. and that that's does why, help with the satiety. I said, that's why I asked, because I remember, like, when I came up there to meet you, <laughs> and I'm, like, getting ready to shake your hand, and we're going to take the picture, and I'm looking while we're taking a picture, I'm like, how much freaking butter does this guy eat? <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind, that day I had not eaten all day. So this was like my one meal. So I was trying to get enough calories in. And that's the other thing. When you're eating ketogenic, you're so satisfied that you, you it's very tempting to go way under your calories. So if you can add a few more pats of butter to your food, to give you that extra calories because uh, you don't want to be hypocaloric. There are some dangerous things. When I say dangerous, I mean hair falling out and things like that. You're not at any health risk. But 
Um, you want to make sure you're getting, getting enough calories. That's a big mistake a lot of people make when they go keto as well. Well, I'm only hungry enough to eat 400 calories. Well, no, 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 that's not a ketogenic diet. That's, that's just, no. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. So um, when we are we're involved in the ketogenic diet, obviously we know that we kind of want to get our carb tolerance, and the way that you do that is you kind of figure out through uh, the uh, glucometer, testing your blood sugar, uh, some yep. other different ways. But um, what is, and this kind of confused me in the book, and this is why I'm, re- I'm asking, is you have carbs and then you have net carbs. Can you kind of clear that, clarify that for me? Because I know the audience will probably want to know that as well. Yes. Um, I have long uh, been a proponent of the net carbs. That's where you take total carbohydrates and you are able to subtract away the fiber and the sugar alcohols, and that gives you a net total of carbohydrates. So let's say you have 20 grams of carbs in a food, 10 of it is fiber, and 5 of it is the sugar alcohol, then you have 5 net carbs. So that's how the math works on all that. But I got to tell you, Darren, that was a dangerous fool's errand for me to believe that that was true. Uh, and let me tell you why. Yes, fiber uh, doesn't get metabolized as quickly as other carbohydrates, but guess what? It still gets metabolized, and it still will raise your blood sugar. It just does it over a longer period of time. So I have come to the conclusion, and my co-author on both cholesterol and keto clarity, Dr. Eric Westman, he does this with his patients. He's a a medical doctor that works with uh, patients in Durham, North Carolina, putting them on ketogenic diets. And he puts them, starts them out there and on 20 grams of total carbohydrates to start. And I, I say in the book that this is the only way for you to be intellectually honest about what your carb tolerance level is. You know, people are like, well, I count net carbs and I don't have any trouble getting into ketosis. Well, my argument back to them would be, well, it's because you have a higher tolerance level for carbs than some other people. What it gets people into trouble is people like myself who are very carb sensitive and are very insulin resistant. We say, okay, well, we'll have, you know, 25 grams of net carbs. Well, that ends up being about 40 to 50 grams of total carbs. And then we wonder why we're not getting into ketosis. Um, Count the total carbs and you can't go wrong with your carb tolerance level. Yeah, and you you mentioned fasting a couple of times on here, and I wanted to get into that as well. Does fasting make it easier for you to get into ketosis? Just because I'm not into the ketogenic diet, I'd love to try it, but I've been fasting Mm -hmm. for a number of years now, and it's kind of made me, I fast every day. I don't eat till like 12 or 1 o'clock, and then I only eat two meals a day, and that's always worked for me. I don't have a problem with my weight. I seem to have enough energy, but talk about the role of fasting in having a good uh, program when it comes to the ketogenic diet. Yeah, intermittent fasting should be extremely easy for anybody that eats keto. As I mentioned earlier, um, it's extremely easy to not feel hungry when you're eating this way, uh, especially when you're getting ample amounts of, of healthy fats. I'm, I'm glad to hear that even not being in a ketogenic uh, state, you're getting that satiety where you can you know, spontaneously intermittent fast like you're doing, that's really awesome. And I think pretty much everybody could probably stop eating at 6 o'clock the night before and then pick up eating at noon the next day and be just fine. Um, It could take a few days or weeks for some people to kind of make that shift over. But once you start eating more healthy fats, um, that's extremely easy. 
Can it help you get into ketosis? Absolutely. During those periods of fasting, you're actually building up ketones in the body. Now, not everybody. Again, this is kind of a highly individualized thing that some people will be able to do intermittent fasting, Darren, and they'll see amazing success with that, uh, being able to produce ketones as that alternative fuel source. Other people, like myself, may need to do longer than just intermittent fasting. I was intermittent fasting pretty regularly even after my N equals 1 uh, was finished in 2012. I was intermittent fasting pretty much every day, upwards of like 16 to 18 to 24 hours sometimes. Basically on a daily basis, I would have a meal and then not eat again for 16, 18, 24 hours. And, and that was cool. I was very happy with that. But then I noticed that if I pushed the fast a little bit longer – I actually started to see a little better results. Again, it's a tinker and test to see how you do. I'm currently testing extended fast here in the month of January so far. I have fasted every single day except for two of the days. Every other day I've, I've, I've eaten or, or not eaten, excuse me. Um, I'm writing a book about this called Fasting Clarity coming later this year. Maybe I can come back and talk about fa fasting on the whole episode. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's really fascinating the human body's resiliency to be able to go so long without eating and you're okay. And I think that that freaks people out because they're like, well, what, yeah. don't you feel weak and aren't you starving all the time? You really aren't. And I don't sound like I have uh, weak energy right now, even though I haven't eaten in a little while. No. Yeah. It actually freaks people out when I tell them, I'm like, I only eat twice a day. And they're like, Oh my God, you only eat twice a day. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, but um, does it actually, get you into ketosis faster if you do uh, intermittent fasting? It can. Um, again, I'd hate to say it does that for everybody. Um, I would say eat the diet first and kind of get that transitioning over from sugar burner to fat burner. And what you'll find is you'll spontaneously start intermittent fasting because you're just not hungry. And in the midst of doing that, you will start producing more ketones. So, Yes and no is the answer to your question. It depends uh, on the individual. If the person's extremely insulin resistant, has type 2 diabetes, morbid obesity, it might take somebody like that a little while longer, maybe longer fast, in order to see the kind of ketone production that gives them the results they want. Yeah, without fasting and when they are first starting out, because we are a society that's infatuated with, when do I see results? When do I see results? Yep. Is it different for everyone looking to get in ketosis, like someone like me who's fairly of an average weight and I want to start doing a ketogenic diet, it might take me a week. Um, not saying it will, but what's the average time or is there an average for someone who's first starting the, the diet? Yeah, it depends on the diet that you come from. So when I started my experiment in 2012, I was low carb at that point for seven, eight years. So it didn't take me long to make that uh, transition over to, to ketogenic, about four days for me is all it took because I was, like I said, pretty darn low carb. I just needed to get the protein down and the, and the fat up, and I was off to the races. For somebody coming from the standard American diet, it could take two to four weeks, maybe even a few months, especially if they're morbidly obese, diabetic. Um, it could take a little while longer. It doesn't mean it's not worth investing those few months to get there, it just means it might take you a little while longer. And, and I hate that people put so much emphasis on they want to see results quickly. I know that's what our society has trained us to do, stupid biggest loser. Uh, but <laughs> it's not all about weight loss either. Um, I, right. I think sometimes we neglect all of the incredible changes in how we feel. I get emails all the time, Darren, 
uh, probably about 500 a day I get. And a lot of them say, hey, look, I've, I've done this ketogenic thing. I've, uh, I feel better than I ever have. Um, I get to play with my kids again. My blood pressure is down. My cholesterol numbers have gotten better. Everything is good, but I've only lost two pounds. And I'm like, okay, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Go back and read to... everything you said at the beginning of that. <laughs> yeah, people want to see that weight loss. And uh, lots of times it's just about how do you feel. Getting healthy first and then you'll see the weight loss if you stick in there enough. That's what I think anyway. Bingo. But, yep. Yeah, people, yeah, people are just too infatuated with weight. Um, another thing is that I was very interested in when I was reading was the fact that carb cravings and how fat, actually satiated carb cravings when you where you're yes. eating a, a pat and I wanted to ask you does that actually go for sugar because I know when I'm tuned in and doing everything right going to the gym lifting and, and doing all the things that I do that somehow or another I come in here and I start craving to eat something sweet which is pretty uh, nothing wrong with that in, in my condition but is that the ketogenic diet going to knock out sugar cravings as well as carb cravings. Yeah, and I think this was where we get back to we haven't been eating enough fat in our diets. Mm -hmm. So when you don't eat fat in your diet, your body's going to scream at you to just feed it. And the, the, the signals it sends to our brain is, I want something that makes me feel good. And it, it remembers that that sugar made you feel good. So what I tell people in Keto Clarity is when you get that screaming for a carbohydrate craving, guess what you need to feed your body? Is it carbs? Nope. Mm-hmm. You take a, a whack of cheese and throw some butter in the middle of it, roll that up and eat that. And I guarantee you within 15 minutes, that carb craving is gone. It just disappears because our bodies were designed to be running on fat, especially when you're becoming a fat burner, fat and ketone burner. You want that fat in your mouth when you get that carb craving. Now, that seems weird. Well, if I'm craving carbs, I should eat carbs. Not necessarily. Your body's just trying to tell you eat something that it knows makes you feel good. It's not trained well enough to know, especially if you just start off, that you want that fat and that little bit of protein to help you with that satiation. So try it the next time you get a carb craving. I, I encourage you to try that, Darren. Get you a little mm-hmm. bit of cheese and, and butter and, and fire away if you eat dairy. If you don't eat dairy, find something that's high fat, you know, maybe a spoonful of coconut oil or, or ghee or something just to kind of quench that, that, uh, that desire for that carby thing. You'll find that it goes away really quickly. Yeah, I've kind of noticed that, Jimmy, with um – I like lamb. I like ground lamb, and lamb is kind of a fatty meat. And when I eat lamb, and there's this particular Greek restaurant that I really like, and they serve a really nice lamb, and then they give you, like, this really nice salad. If I eat that, it's like I don't want to eat the rest of the day. If I go there, like, 12 or 1 o'clock, and I eat that, I don't want to eat anything. I don't have to eat anything. And it's always been amazing to me because I know that lamb is uh, a real fatty meat. But um, getting back to talking about, grams and grams of protein, grams of carbs, and then adding the fat in there. How do you, because I know for people out there listening in the audience, and this actually comes to my head from my old following bodybuilding days and micronutrients and all that stuff, how do you measure these grams of protein? How do you measure these grams of carbs? How do you know you're eating the right amounts? Truth be told, um, I'm not a fan of weighing any of that, of, of really counting anything. 
at the end of the day, choose real food. You know, your lamb uh, and salad meal sounds really good. <laughs> and so it could be I'm fasting for a few days. It sounds really good. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of obsessing about all the numbers. I say choose real food and then just tinker and test. I mean, you kind of know uh, when you have a, a cup of vegetables there that it's going to be about 10 or 15 grams of, of carbohydrate. I wouldn't worry about it if it's 14.75 and you have to stay under, you know, don't do that to yourself. That's dieting. I think it, to make it easy, just kind of choose real foods that you enjoy that fit within the, the profile. We have a whole list of, of foods in the book uh, to tell you how to how to figure these things out. I actually had a follow-up book uh, that became an international bestseller last year called The Ketogenic Cookbook, where we actually give you recipes with all the macronutrient, everything kind of broken down for you right there in the book. Um, so, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, just don't worry about it so much. I think sometimes, again, we get into that dieting mode, and I want people to make this into a lifestyle. And if it's a lifestyle, you just choose the foods that are – nourishing to you and delicious to you and thankfully on a ketogenic diet you have a lot at your disposal to give you both yeah how do we know if we're getting this right what are what are some of the tools that you can use you mentioned uh peeing on a strip and um yeah. what is the most optimal way for us to measure the ketones and knowing that if we're in uh, ketogenesis well, measuring ketones, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Definitely everybody right now, when you're done listening to this, go to your pharmacy, your local pharmacy, your Rite Aid, your Walgreens, your Walmart. All of them have these things called a glucometer. Now, you may have heard about those as diabetic testing supplies, but they're really available to anybody that wants to buy them. And I would say get yourself a glucometer, get some testing strips, and test yourself. That's really the only way you're going to know where you stand in your carb tolerance, where you stand in how foods are impacting you. You you don't feel necessarily when your blood sugar goes up to 140, 190. You don't feel that necessarily. Uh, you will feel it if it goes down too low uh, within the context of like hypoglycemia. But definitely test your blood sugar. But you asked about how to test for, for ketones. There's actually three ketones in the body. The one we've already mentioned, the one in the urine, is called acetoacetate. Again, we're going to have a test at the end of the show, so write these down. Just kidding. Uh, acetoacetate is the one that's in the urine when you pee on the stick and it turns pink to purple uh, color. That is what it's measuring. It's measuring what's actually spilling over into the urine. And so the first couple of weeks, that's pretty good to measure, Darren, how you're doing on your ketogenic uh, and trying to make that transition over. But what's, what happens for a lot of people is after that two- to four-week adaptation period, guess what happens to the acetoacetate in the urine? It goes away. So people are peeing on these sticks and going, oh, my gosh, I have no ketones. Do I need to lower my carbs more? Do I need to lower the protein more? I need to write to Jimmy Moore and figure out what the heck's going on? No, something good has actually happened. And what's happened is that acetoacetate has been converted into the main ketone body in the body called beta-hydroxybutyrate, and it's the BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, that, um, that is the one that you're trying to measure for. And that one is actually, uh, you're able to test for that. I've been testing it every day for a little while now, several years now, with this monitor called Precision Extra. That's what it's called in America. I've, I've since discovered overseas, it's the same company, but the name of the meter is called Freestyle Neo. 
So if you mm-hmm. live outside of America, Freestyle Neo is what you're looking for here in America, Precision Extra. You have to order it online, and then the strips you have to get from like eBay or, or Canadian Pharmacy. They're really expensive, but you can test for your level of beta-hydroxybutyrate in the blood. And so that's a, that is the gold standard. If you're going to want to know exactly how you're doing in your ketosis, that is the way to do it and do it uh, as accurately as possible. But there is one more ketone body in the body called acetone. That's the one that's in the breath. And as of right now, there's only one way to test for that called ketonics, K-E-T-O-N-I-X. It's this Mm -hmm. guy in Sweden has epilepsy. One of the things we have strong evidence for a ketogenic diet helping with is epilepsy to control seizures. And so he he wanted to create this thing. He hated peeing on the stick. It was inaccurate and gross. And he didn't like pricking his finger for the blood, so he has this little USB port uh, thing that you blow into, and it changes color. And it's pretty good giving you like a yes-no answer. If you blow yellow or red on on the ketonics, um, then you're pretty much fat-burning. But if you want that precision, you want to know exactly how many millimolar of beta-hydroxybutyrate you have in your blood, you really need to test the blood. I like testing blood because I want that accuracy but I understand the cost can be a prohibitive thing for a lot of people. Yeah. What about pricking your finger? Have you ever had any problems with pricking your finger with that? Dude, I've done this so long now. I don't (laughs) even worry about pricking. I just, okay, yeah, you know, I'm doing it on Periscope Live every single day during these fasting experiments, and I don't even flinch anymore. Um, I, I can tell you there's one thing you can do. Try to go along the sides of your fingers. If you're not used to, the diabetics all are laughing at us right now, but if you go along the sides of your finger, um, it's a little bit meatier, and so when that lancet hits your your finger, it doesn't hurt as much. And then the other thing is, as soon as you're about to press the button to make the needle come down, blow out really hard. And if you do that, you don't really feel the prick either. So little tricks of the trade doing this for three or four years now. So. Yeah, I don't know why I'm asking that. It's like I give blood pretty regularly, and I'm yeah. like, why am I asking about pricking my finger? It just seems because I know they prick my finger to test my iron, but my finger is always sore after yeah. after the next day. But it I'm hurts like, worse than the arm. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, would I want to prick my finger every but day? You know what they do? They What's put it that? right on the digit. When when I've given blood before, and they uh-huh. test for the iron, they always do it like right on the pad part. They don't yeah. ever go on the side. If they go on the side, it doesn't hurt near as badly. Yeah, they they do. They prick you right there on the pad part. Right on that cushion. I'm like, why? Yeah, and it hurts the next day. Like <laughs> it hurts like off. the Dickens, man. Yep. You get a yep. bruise there. Yeah. So, Jimmy, coming from an athletic background, I was I used to play basketball. How good is this diet for someone who's athletic, looking to maybe – take their performance to another level? Are they going to yeah. have enough uh, fuel in their body to run a long-distance event? If I'm in there and I'm squatting 400 pounds uh, in the yeah. weight room, am I going to have enough energy to get through my workout on a ketogenic diet? See, this is the dirty little secret about a ketosis diet is for exercise performance. This is actually where I think we're going to see inroads into the culture, Darren, in the coming years because there's actually a lot of research currently being done looking at athletes, mostly endurance athletes, not so much the the people lifting weights because that's extremely glycolytically demanding where you probably for that kind of a workout probably do need a little more carbs than the average person 
But that said, you could still be a fat and ketone burner even within the context of having a few extra carbs for for lifting. But from an exercise performance standpoint and, and recovery, ketosis is incredible. This is, like I said, this is the emerging thing. In the coming years, we're going to see a lot of studies coming out looking at how low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat strategically for athletes is going to be so incredible. In fact, they've developed this thing called an exogenous ketones where they've literally taken beta-hydroxybutyrate, turned it into salt, and then made it into a drinkable fluid that could be consumed, kind of like Gatorade uh, traditionally has been used, but could be consumed during performance, which would keep that fat burning going in the midst of the performance. So I'm real excited to see what happens. Uh, But to specifically answer your question for endurance athletes, ketosis is a no-brainer because your body has upwards of 40,000 plus calories worth of energy at its disposal when you're a fat and ketone burner. When you're a sugar burner and you have to continually refuel with those goo gels and uh, carbs during a, a performance, during your basketball game, you probably had to have some Gatorade you know, between the, the, the periods. You don't have to do that or you have to do that with a sugar burner because you only have about 2,000 calories worth of energy at your disposal. But as a fat and ketone burner, that number jumps to 40,000 plus. So I, I would think that a lot of athletes are probably catching on to this, and, and I know personally know that there are a lot of them using it. They're just doing it on the download because they don't want to give away their trade secret <laughs> to why they're doing so well. Yeah, um, getting into health conditions, and you mentioned that um, I think you mentioned somebody that had emailed you how their health markers improve. Yep. What are some of the things that we can look for that will improve on a ketogenic diet? Oh, my gosh, we could go down a whole laundry list, but some of the big ones that that are most common is blood pressure goes down, blood Mm -hmm. sugar comes down to healthy levels, insulin, fasting insulin levels come down, triglycerides, which we talked about the last time I was on, is a key blood fat. It comes way down when you do a ketogenic diet. HDL cholesterol comes way up, which is the good cholesterol, uh, thanks to all those healthy saturated fats that you consume. Small, dense LDL particles, another thing we talked about the last time, those are truly the uh, the most dangerous LDL in your body. They go way down um, when you eat this way. Weight, of course, comes off the body once you start healing some of these other things. And, I mean, neurodegenerative diseases, this this diet, if, if for no other reason eating a ketogenic diet, if I never lost another pound, if I never had any other issues, to speak of, if I could just get the brain health benefits that I have now eating a ketogenic diet, I would do it just for that. Uh, because your mood becomes stable, you have such dynamic energy, your memory uh, comes back really well, um, you just feel good. And you you know what it's like when your brain is on, um, mm-hmm. you feel really, really good. And ketosis does that. And why does that happen? Because the brain actually loves running on ketones. You know, oftentimes these dietitians say, well, if you don't eat 130 grams of carbohydrates in your diet, your brain won't like you too well. Well, again, within the context of a sugar burner, those people are exactly right, but they forget that if you become a fat and ketone burner and make that shift over from sugar burner to fat burner, your brain thrives on the ketones, which is why MCT oil and other healthy fats are so critical when you make this shift because you want that brain to be sharp. 
Yeah, brain loves that cholesterol, man. <laughs> yes. And uh, that translates to ketones. But um, let's talk a little bit about conditions. I'm not going to keep you that, that much longer, but there's some few questions I wanted to ask. I'm fading um, past, though, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cancer. <laughs> I, this is how I actually heard about the ketogenic diet. I knew a little bit about ketosis before, but yeah. I started hearing a lot about the ketogenic diet. I had uh, Dr. Jockers on long time mm-hmm. ago, and he started talking about the ketogenic diet. What are some of the other conditions or illnesses out there? You mentioned epilepsy. Uh, I said yep. cancer. Yep. What are some other things out there that the ketogenic diet might help with? Yep, type 2 diabetes, obviously. Um, PCOS, which is another uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, another sign of insulin resistance uh, that women have to deal with, sometimes prevents them from getting pregnant. They fix the PCOS, and, and, they get, and they have babies, and so it's, it's pretty magical. Uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease, getting back to those neurodegenerative diseases, yeah. um, just they get better. And, and it's amazing when the body shifts over to running on those ketones, that brain just thrives. So the neurodegenerative dise- diseases for sure. Even people with, like, traumatic brain injury, this is a, another kind of key uh, part of this whole thing is, uh, and I know Rob Wolf has talked a lot about this in his work. Uh, you know, people they they just get better with better results running on ketones, and it, and I, it's just amazing how how essential the brain is to our health, and yet something as simple as just eating a good diet that's going to make ketones makes that brain so thrive so much. In fact, tomorrow on the Living Levita Low Carb Show, I'm going to have a lady on who she beat her brain cancer. She had a tumor uh, that was basically pushing up against her eye nerve. It was so big in her brain that she went blind in that eye temporarily. And she was able to, through a ketogenic diet and some other things in her lifestyle, uh, bring that tumor down to where they can't even see it on the microscope anymore. When when they do the scans, they, they can't see it anymore. It's not there. And to me, that's really exciting. It, that we've yeah. got this kind of anecdotal stuff, and they're not really uh, testing for this in the research. I really wish cancer research would jump on the bandwagon of at least looking at this as a modality, because how hard is it to tell people to eat bacon and eggs cooked in butter with an avocado? I, I don't think many cancer patients would care if it got rid uh, they would eat anything if it got rid of their cancer. Yeah, that's not. Um, I think I read her her uh, story in your book. Uh, is it Stephanie Person, the personal trainer? Is that her mother that's coming on? Well, well n- no, it's somebody else, and that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. There's a bunch of them out there. Yes, yeah, Stephanie yeah. Person's, um, I believe it was aunt, um, actually got cancer, and yeah, she was able to to beat it as well. Uh, this is a lady from Dublin, Ireland. Patricia Daly is her oh. name, but she's helping people now with ketogenic and cancer. And there's this guy, Andrew Scarborough. Um, in in Great Britain, who's also beat his brain cancer and his his diet's hardcore. It's not just ketogenic; he's eating bugs and all kinds of stuff. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to talking to him real soon uh, on, on my podcast. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's another entryway, not just the exercise performance, but all these people with cancer that have beat it with a ketogenic diet. We're going to hear a whole lot about this in the coming years. In fact, at the Ancestral Health Symposium back in twenty was it 2014, I hosted and moderated a panel all about ketogenic diet and cancer. And it's just amazing. The information we shared then is now kind of manifesting itself in so many people that have changed their lives and, and quite frankly, saved their lives. 
Yeah, I actually want to end up trying this, uh, you know, soon. Um, there's two things I want to ask, and these are probably going to be my, my last question, maybe just one thing. But um, one of the things I really liked about the book is it's things would pop into my mind, you would answer them. One of the things was fatty liver disease. Cause I'm like, we're eating all these fats. The liver has a bit to do with fat metabolism. And you answered that yeah. really good in the book. You hit that. I'm like, wow, he was just thinking what I was thinking. The <laughs> next thing is I seem to be surrounded by an inordinate amount of women who are losing their gallbladders. And gallbladder has something to do with, with fat and fat metabolism as well. Um, is this safe for someone to do who's had their gallbladder removed? That's another great question that we just hit on in Keto Talk mm-hmm. with Jimmy Moore and the Doc. <laughs> wow, we're getting all these great questions that, uh, yeah, I'm trying to see which episode it was. It was in a recent one. Oh, here it is, episode number three at KetoTalk.com. You want to hear a thorough answer, but... My answer to it is um, my wife, Christine, actually had hers taken out in 2006, and and your gallbladder is important in the production of bile, and bile is how you digest the fat. So how in the world do you digest all the fats that you would consume on a ketogenic diet? Well, the trick is, and, and what uh, my co-host, Dr. Nally, mentioned was her uh, his wife actually deals with that as well. She has to eat a lot of smaller meals that while the bile production is a lot less, that she still eats a ketogenic-style meal, just smaller meals spread out throughout the day. Um, Whereas my wife, Christine, who has no gallbladder either, she could eat breakfast, which she loves bacon and eggs for breakfast. She could eat that and then not eat for 12 hours. So I I think it's going to be just one of those things that maybe that first year might be tough after you have the gallbladder out, but Mm -hmm. over time you build it up. So I would say for your clients that don't have the gallbladder – Try eating a certain amount of fat and see how you do. And if you feel like, oh, that's too much, just back it off and maybe spread out those throughout the day. And that's going to be a good way to do it. But the, the last thing you want to do is is take away the fat because the fat is so essential. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and one more I wanted to ask you, vegans, vegetarians, mm-hmm. can they do a ketogenic diet? They can, but it will be very hard because mm-hmm. a lot of the pressure on vegans and vegetarians is don't eat in any animal anything, but if they can just add eggs, Darren, just mm-hmm. add eggs, it would make that diet so much better. I'm not opposed to a vegan or a vegetarian diet if they want to do it that way, but if you eat eggs with it and you get enough healthy fats from coconut oil and other non-animal sources, um, you can rock and roll this diet, and definitely coconut-based uh, products will be your friend if you're a vegan uh, don't neglect the fat, even though you're eating uh, vegetarian, vegan. Yeah, I want to do this because I know I need to start taking my carb consumption down. I'm getting older now. <laughs> I think me and you are kind of like in similar ages. I'm 45, but <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, I'm getting older. You're the old man. I'm 44. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that I'm having, you know, some issues with, you know, with carbs now, and I probably need to lessen my carbs, but. I've noticed over the years that when I start doing that, I start getting more, a little bit more hungry, and probably because I'm not eating enough fat, and this probably would be perfect for me to do. Um, anything and as else? you get older, the insulin resist. As you get older, the insulin resistance starts to increase, uh, and yeah. especially having your athletic background, your body was probably used to burning a certain level of carbs uh, at a certain rate, and now that you're not as athletic as you used to be your body's like, okay, 
um, I'm going to still make you eat as much carbs to keep you active. And so that, that's kind of what you're fighting right now is your body has been used to burning those carbs off in exercise performance. Now you've got to kind of titrate that back to uh, be commensurate with the amount of activity you do now. Yeah, I think this would be something that's actually perfect. I mean, perfect for just about anybody because every this is about everybody I know is that I went to school with high school or college seems to be putting on, you know, a little bit of weight and we could all use, you know, some motivation to get our weight down by not being hungry. And this seems like that diet that'll kinda of kill that hunger and have you, you know, satiated. So definitely yep. something to do. Um anything else you want to add before I, I let you go, Jimmy? No, I just appreciate being on here. I can always talk about cholesterol, ketosis, fasting, weight loss, life change, uh, becoming an online entrepreneur. I can talk about literally anything, and, and you are a great uh, host, man. Really appreciate you letting me be back on. Yeah, thank you. Um, if there's anybody out there that wants to get in touch with you for – I know you like the email do. Like if I email you, the email comes right back. Like some people <laughs> – some people is like, I got to wait three days. I got to – hey, I'm just following up. Can you uh, get back to me and let me know if you're going to be on? But with you, it's usually I get a response like within 30 minutes or so. But if people yeah. want to reach out to you to learn a little bit more about the ketogenic diet, of course, go to Amazon, get Keto Clarity. It's It's well worth it if you want to start – doing this diet because it actually covers everything. But if they want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? <clears throat> yeah, I have uh, a website, livinlevitalowcarb.com, that has literally every way that you can reach out to me. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm even on Periscope. Are you on Periscope yet, Darren? No, I'm not. You know what? I've been very reluctant to do that just simply because I Dude. cannot see myself sitting in front of my phone doing Dude, you got to do that you are so good that you people will love you man you got to get out in front of this thing man I, I i missed out on instagram when it first came out and i came in late and now i'm trying to still catch up but dude i was like i'm not missing out on periscope and i've got a bunch of followers if you start uh, scoping i'll i'll put them out there you, you need to do fat man scopes that's what you got to do yeah, I got to do something. I, I, actually, I was behind the eight ball. Every, I'm just really getting into hashtags and using hashtags. Yep. And I'm like, why did I not use these before? And um, Instagram, and I, I was slow getting into Twitter. My girlfriend was actually better than me at social media. Now I think I've caught uh, caught up with her. But I've been behind eight ball on everything. And it's like Periscope, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to sit in Periscope's still new enough. If you got yeah. in now with Periscope, it's still new enough that you would still be kind of one of the ground floor. I mean, I have 5,500 followers now, and I house all my videos. It, it literally has revolutionized my podcast, too. I do a lot of interviews via Periscope where I show it live on the air to my followers, and then I air it on my podcast. And so it kind of gives me new content. Dude, you got to be there. But uh yeah, so that's, I saw uh, your, that's what I do. Yeah, I saw your recent one. I think one of them popped up on my Facebook or something. Because um, I'm on, I have the app on my phone, but I yep. rarely go on it. But I saw something pop up. You had Nina. Um, what's her last name? Nina. Ty Scholes. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that one. And um, but I don't know. I'm just reluctant to get on there. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then pe people can also find me if they just Google my name, Jimmy Moore. Uh, the first page and a half is literally all my stuff. I don't know how that happened, Darren, but I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always good to have a whole page to yourself. But, uh, Jimmy, thanks so much, man, and I look forward to your, your next book. Thank you for showing me the way and how to get free books. <laughs> because I was actually Yeah, man, dude, books. that's all you got to do. I don't think I've paid for a health book in a decade. <laughs> 
Yeah, you want, I just write to the hit, publisher. You're the one that hit me on to that because when I came to see you in person, you're like, here's a book. I'm like, wow, I can get free books. I don't have to pay for them yep. on Amazon. So great, great. Dude, well, you man, should thanks. see my stack in my house. It's like all the way to the ceiling, like 10 big stacks. <laughs> I know, man. I'm looking at my um, – I have a little laptop table here, and it's full of books. And I'm like, where the hell am I going to put all these books? I don't even know where the books go. And I've read just just about all of them except for the ones that are upcoming shows. But everything that I've gotten, I've read, and I'm like running out of room. I don't know where to put any more books. I love them. Sell, but sell I don't them on Amazon. <laughs> I don't want to do that. If people give them to me free, I'm not going to go sell them on Amazon. Yeah, I know. I'm messing with you, especially if I autograph that cluster all clarity for you, man. Dude, don't don't sell that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not going to sell that at all. <laughs> I might be worth some money one day. You might be like the Michael Jordan of podcasting, and I, that might be someday. Worth. Yeah, yeah. But Jimmy, man, it's been a pleasure, man. I love having you on. You're probably one of the most down earth people um, ever. And uh, hopefully you'll come back. If she said Fasting Clarity is the next one. Dude, I would so love to come back. Fasting Clarity coming in November of 2016. So, yeah, I would love to come back when uh, when that's out. Okay, cool, man. That's that's a bet. Just send me the book or I'll get in touch with you because I like good books. And your books, believe it or not, I love your books just simply because your chapters are short. Sometimes I'm reading books and I'm like, is this chapter ever going to end? <laughs> but you're, like I could sit down and I'll like boop, boop, okay then your your summary comes up then the next chapter then your summary comes up then the next chapter it's like yeah. it keeps on some chapters like they're 40 pages long I'm like okay this could have ended like 10 pages ago but <laughs> I could have just read the summary yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> man thank you so much Jimmy I appreciate it man alright bud peace out have a good night bye bye all right, great show. Hope you learned something. Of, hopefully, you learned something about ketogenesis. Very good diet. It's actually one of those diets I would probably recommend just simply because it keeps you satiated. The number one problem with a lot of the diets out there is that people tend to cut calories. They're not adding enough fat, and then they go back to their old habits. Just take it from my little Pop-Tart incident that I had where I wasn't adding in a lot of fat, and I went on my Pop-Tart tirade and, and ate a box full of Pop-Tarts. So if you want something that's going to actually satiate you, it's going to help you reach your health goals, I would recommend uh, the Keto Diet. Go pick the book up, Keto Clarity, from Jimmy Moore. It's on Amazon. And, again, next week, Thursday, normally I'm trying to run the shows on Mondays and Wednesdays, but Thursday, just simply because uh, Amy was in the clinic uh, we agreed to do it on Thursday of this week. We're going to be talking about uh, pregnancy and fertility. The name of the book is Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, and that'll be with Amy Route. So, Amy Route. So, tune in next week, same fat time, same fat channel, and we'll talk a little bit about fertility. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Peace and love. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.